Welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with Andrew Hunter-Murray, Anna Chizinski, and James Harkin. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with you, Anna. My fact this week is that traveling salesmen used to carry around miniature versions of everything they were selling. <laughs> right. <laughs> Such an amazing fact. It's so cool. Um, so I found this. I don't know how I ended up on this site, but I was on Tim's antique site. Tim's very well-respected <laughs> antiques dealers. Um, and they had an article which was titled, What is Miniature Furniture? Mm. And it started by saying, this question has been asked time and time again. For <laughs> Tim and many Tim again. He should have said that. <laughs> <laughs> Tims and Tims again and it said there's a whole myriad of answers but we're here to answer definitively and they said the vast majority of miniature furniture that you see in antique places mm. was carried around by travelling salesmen because if you're going around the country you're going to be away for weeks and weeks away from your workshop then obviously mm. it's a hassle to take all the full size stuff with you so they made up tiny samples but perfectly sculpted samples mm. so incredibly good quality you know with the proper materials yeah. well but together samples but there were so many different things they tried this way so there are amazing pages online of uh, there's a great website called collectors weekly which has a load of samples. it's so good so there were stoves there are mini stoves and sewing machines and telephones coffins you can Mm -hmm. i found on ebay in america there's one going at the moment it's eight inches long it's selling for a few hundred dollars Right, and it's it's a travelling salesman's coffin. Oh, okay, as as in a it's a proper antique travelling yes, salesman's yeah, coffin. Yeah, yeah, wow. exactly. Oh, cool. yeah. Amazing. You, well, have you seen the under the stuff that undertakers would take with them? Because no. it was not only they'd have a briefcase full of miniature coffins, but you can also get as antiques their briefcase of a graveyard plot. And again, if you go online, you you open up the briefcase and it's proper fake grass <laughs> around it, and then it's got the gravestone as they would suggest that they'll make up your gravestone so for you amazing. when you die. Wow, oh, that's, that's so cool. And is there a sort of a, um, a hearse and do you role play the whole event? I don't know. Maybe they did. I didn't see any briefcases with the miniature hearse in them. You could in the um, late 19th century buy miniature stepladders and ironing boards. And this was from a guy called Ole Kirk Christiansen uh, in Denmark. And he had a woodworking company and he was making these stepladders and ironing boards. But then he thought, you know what? I prefer making these little things than making the big things. Why don't I start a company where I make lots of little things? And he started the Lego company. No! Really? Yeah, isn't that cool? That's so cool. he started off making miniature things for his traveling salesman and then he became a Lego guy. That's so cool. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. So these don't, because there were a lot of sort of miniature version toys back in history, kind of like, I guess, how Lego came out. Miniature guillotines from the french revolution <laughs> yeah this is during the french revolution they used to sell them for kids to play with and, and you, you sell dolls with it you sell dolls with them and you would chop your dolls head off no, no way yes but if you yeah. don't if you don't have a if you're too poor to afford the dolls you can just put your fingers through and that makes <laughs> yes. a finger puppet you did used to get those guillotines that you put your fingers in didn't you like yeah. in uh, magic sets and stuff yes. and then it looks like you're going to chop them off and you don't actually chop them off yeah imagine if one in every 10 guillotines was one of those and so it means that some people get away from their crimes. Like the opposite oh, real of Russian guillotine. roulette. Yeah. That's really nice. Russian reprieve. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was another reason for having miniature furniture. 
that mm. sometimes wasn't to show off your furniture. And that was if it was practice furniture. So this is something if you're an antique dealer, you get good at is distinguishing the proper miniatures from the apprentice pieces. Oh, so you can I also see. buy them. And it's if you're auditioning an apprentice and then the craftsman would give the apprentice a really cheap, crappy piece of wood and say, make something awesome out of this. I completely understand. When you said practice furniture, I thought it was something you practice sitting on before <laughs> <laughs> you got your real chair. <laughs> Can't be trusted with a real chair. It's a cotton wool one. But would oh, those apprentice cool. pieces go out on the road as well? No. Or? Ah, okay. <clears throat> no, they're just for the workshop. And uh, then it kind of stopped, didn't it? Once we got photos, people yeah. just sent around catalogues. Although mm-hmm. you still get people selling things Dosto, don't you? Um, in 2010 in the UK, the Dosto sales sector was officially valued at $4.7 billion a year. What? In the UK? In the Whoa. UK. And that's only the legitimate things because people are obviously selling other things door to door. And in 2012, the number of complaints about dodgy doorstep sales hit a record high with 35,000 complaints made. So people wow. are still doing this yeah. all the time. Yeah. I, didn't, um, I didn't know that you, you are technically a peddler. Mm. P-E-D-L-A-R. I didn't know that peddler was still a trade, as in it's still properly termed, but you need a peddler's license to peddle. Because it's uh, such an mm. old-fashioned term. Exactly, yeah. But you go, you go to your local police authority and you tell them who who you are. And, you know, you have to have lived in the area for a little while, I think. And it costs £12.25 to get an, a year's license peddling. Does it? Yeah. Wow. It just shows, like, obviously what a common profession it was, how many synonyms there are for this job. So you could be a monger, um, obviously. You could be a solicitor. That was an old word for it before mm. it was a lawyer. A oh, costa monger. Yeah. You don't want to confuse those, though. Do you? <laughs> no, don't My solicitor will be here in a minute. He bursts in with a load of dishcloths. <laughs> Tiny little judge's chair yeah. for him to sit on. <laughs> Just the, on what you were saying before, monger. Mm. Like, because obviously you have fishmongers and costamongers and all that kind of stuff. Were they door-to-door things or is that just a seller of things or what? I think it was a seller of things, but then it would often, like you say, the mongers coming coming down the street now. Cool. Um, I've never heard it on its own without some kind of noun before it. No, well, you you don't mung nothing. So that's why it's often preceded with the thing you're munging. What do you do if you sell mung beans? (laughs) (laughs) A mung munger. A mung munger. A mung munger. Sounds like oh, an insult. That mung mung is a real minger. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you had so in the in the olden days, there are some peddlers that you don't have as much today. You had the tooth puller, and that was quite common. That you'd have the tooth pullers who'd come around and bang on your door to pull your teeth out. Okay, often w- wouldn't get off the horse. Would they tie your tooth to the door? Like well, in the that's old, what old you cartoons. would do, wouldn't you? You would tie your tooth to the door, and then when they open the door, they pull your tooth out. <laughs> you don't have to pay them anymore. <laughs> so you don't open the door until they've said who they are. They say it's the yeah. tooth puller, and you go, hang on a sec. <laughs> I think they tied it to the horse, because it just it just is specific that they don't get off their horses quite a lot. So wow. I imagine maybe they tie it to the reins of the horse what, and, and gallop, gallop away or something. No. Come on. And then it's like galloping off with you still attached to them. Yeah. Like you're a just married. <laughs> Car or <laughs> it's not as wobbly as I thought. <laughs> so the tooth pullers, as well as being oh, yeah. tooth pullers, were often travelling dentists. And you can also get some of the dentist kits. So they would have a whole selection of teeth. And because it was the 19th century, the teeth would be graded from sort of just light yellow to very dark brownish wow. black. And they'd come to replace your teeth. So they'd open their briefcase and be like, hey, which do you want? And you'd say, oh, oh that God. nice yellow one. And they'd say, mm, I think like maybe a more. Like Julux colour chart, but yeah. where all the colours are disgusting. (laughs) So one famous uh, travelling salesman of history was Jeremy Clarkson's dad. 
Oh, and, yeah. and he was famous, was he? Well, he he is now, I would say, as the father of Jeremy Clarkson. Okay. But Jeremy Clarkson, uh, his dad, in fact, I think his parents, they specialised in <clears throat> selling tea cosies. Didn't they sell um, Paddington Bear or something? Bingo. Yes, yes, they did. Yeah. And Jeremy Clarkson's first job was going door to door. This Paddington Bear! <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly that. He was, he was a travelling salesman selling Paddington Bear. And tea cosies. What a weird combination of things to be selling. I know. Do they have a range of stuff in between Paddington Bear and tea cosies? There are sources online that say condoms, but that seems like such a strange third element to add to the well, mix. All it says to me is they must have been woolen condoms. Yeah. A tea cosy for some people is what? a condom for others. <laughs> was the slogan on their van. I can't, so I can't believe that you would have a firm selling tea cosies, Paddington Bear and condoms, because it's too, like, it's, one of them is too sexy. Yeah. It's not the condoms. Yeah. <laughs> um, some stuff on small things very quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, so this year, in fact, last year, there was the world's biggest ever historical tabletop war game. Cool. cool. Okay. So do you know what I mean by that? Because, Dan, you look confused. Yeah, so... Um, I so don't think either of them knows because they both said the word cool after <laughs> what you said. <laughs> oh, so is it recreating so, a real battle? It's recreating yeah. a real battle with little soldiers. So kind of like painted. Warhammer, basically. Like that, yep. but not with orcs, with actual people. Boring. <laughs> no, t- so there yeah, was tw- more than 20,000 miniature soldiers wow. and it was at the University of Glasgow and they re- replayed the Battle of Waterloo on a 192 square metre historical map. And um, it took them a year to paint all the soldiers, this group of over 100 people. They've been investigating the archaeology of the Waterloo battlefield since 2015. <laughs> Wow. And then they did this game. And there were 4,000 casualties in their battle. uh, And the Allies won because it wasn't definite. They were going to do it properly, like a proper game. And it could have been that Napoleon would have won it. Uh, But the Allies won. Uh, And at one stage, the Duke of Wellington in the battle had a traffic cone on his head. (laughs) Because in Glasgow, which is where it was, famously there's a statue there where they always put a traffic cone on. That's so funny. That's so cool. Although that bit not historically accurate, right? (laughs) I'm not sure they even had traffic cones. No, they've misread tricorn. It's been mistranslated (laughs) somewhere along the way. Um, And do you know who invented... Sorry, just while I'm on the subject, do you know who invented the first set of rules for playing with toy soldiers. Ooh, mm. is this someone we will have heard of? Yes. It's Jeremy okay. Clarkson's dad, isn't it? It's not. <laughs> no? It's his mum. No, it's not. <laughs> it is the novelist H.G. Wells. What? Really? He did that, yeah. In 1913, he wrote a book called Little Wars, which had the first ever set of rules for playing with toy soldiers. And the full title of the book was Little Wars, a game for boys from 12 years of age to 150 and for that more intelligent sort of girl who likes boys' games and books. (laughs) (laughs) I've never met such a woman. (laughs) Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is Andy. My fact is that female grizzly bears can get half pregnant. Mm. Mm. Intriguing. What does that mean? It means they get pregnant or they are fertilised... Uh, their eggs are fertilised by a male during mating, and mm-hmm. then they don't do anything about it 
for several months. Okay. So Lazy. The, the, the egg is fertilised and it turns into this tiny bundle of cells uh, called a blastocyst. And that's, that's normal, we have those too. But in almost all mammals, that then develops into a, an embryo. Uh, but in bears, it just floats around in their uterus doing absolutely nothing for months on end. Uh, and then the bears put on weight for winter because they need to hibernate. They see how much weight they gain. And if they're up to the right level of body fat by the autumn, if they're 24% body fat, they will go to their den for winter and the blastocyst will implant into the wall of their womb and then it will develop into a cub. But if they're not, it just gets reabsorbed into the body of the female. So they have this weird internal barometer of how, how well they're doing in terms of putting on weight for winter. Oh my god! Have you seen the pictures? Of these are the specific pictures actually published by Katmai National Park in Alaska. Is it Katmai? K A T M A I. That's how I would pronounce it. But um, we've never pronounced anything right on this show, so no. don't, don't break a tradition. <laughs> Why now? break a habit? <laughs> so there are photos published by this national park in Alaska where the public votes every year on which bear wins the fastest, the best fattening bear, and you have uh-huh. to check it out because they have these photos on their site of every bear in their national park and if you move this slider along the pictures you can see the before and after and oh, it's only in the course wow. of two months and it is incredible that's so cool and it's, it's like like the opposite of fat shaming isn't it exactly mm. yeah it's like they're going to a Weight Watchers meeting every week and they put on an extra free stone <laughs> and they're just getting applauded and and it is a huge amount they they eat and a huge amount they put on so it's called hyperphagia and they just eat constantly for a while and they gain about two stone per week and so it's it's really fun to do. I spent wow. most of my research scrolling back and forth in these photos. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Um, it's interesting with pregnancy in bears. I was reading about in zoos in America, polar bears, the polar bears that they have there, they don't know how to tell if they're pregnant. It's really hard to tell <laughs> if a bear is pregnant because they often have pseudo-pregnancy. So it oh. looks like they're pregnant. They have the hormones that show up in labs that say they're pregnant. But they're not. It's it just it matches the same thing. So do you know how they find out if they have a pregnant polar bear? Uh, no. Do they just wait and see if a baby comes out? They yeah. often do, but that's not useful for them because when it comes <laughs> out, if none come out, then they're like, "Damn it, we need our breeding program to okay. be better." Uh, they put them in a, a CT scanner. No. Oh, wouldn't that be exciting to see? Um, they. Take some urine samples and they can... No, because he said the hormones is the same. Yeah. Um, they squeeze... They run in very quickly and they squeeze the middle of the bear and then they run out before it tears them in two. No. No? no. What do they do? They send their poo to a dog called Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> now, whose poo? They hit the polar bears. <laughs> All right, okay. What? They send the poo to this dog called Elvis, who has a 90% rate of saying whether or not they're pregnant or I, not. It I gets can't it believe right we every time. That, guys. I know. <laughs> um, what? Yeah, so how this. How did Elvis. How do they. St- they tra- find out that Elvis can do that. They trained this dog, um, Elvis, with another dog, and they kept. They gave them 200 samples to see whether they could break down. So there's more than 2,000 proteins in polar bear fecal samples. Five are consistent with pregnancy, and that's what he was smelling out. And, and it's 90, just he has this a one 90, dog. This one no dog. Other dog can do it. The other dog uh, just guessed it at some points, just faked it, just went, yep, and because they needed a reward <laughs> or whatever. So they kicked him out of the system. It is just Elvis <laughs> that they send it to. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But yeah, that's what they have to do. One dog is helping them out. <laughs> Elvis. Well done, Elvis. Yeah. That's amazing. Hero dog. Um, Andy, you were saying how um, most mammals um, don't do this yeah. thing. Uh, it's called embryonic diapause, mm. isn't it? Um, 
rodents do, quite a few of them bears do, as we know. Armadillos do, weasels, badgers, and kangaroos all do. Um, And some people think that maybe humans do (gasps) on a small level. Um, So there have been a few case studies where women have had in vitro fertilization and then found out that they were pregnant more than a month later like maybe two months later or stuff like that. And they reckon it might be a very minor diapause um, that happens in humans. Wow. Um, But still more research needed. It's a bit of a crap diapause, though, because it is only ever really a week or two weeks, maybe three, whereas these bears can hold it in for a year, can't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Do you guys want to hear something mental? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, a team of scientists, they put sheep blastocysts, these little bundles of cells, into the uteruses of mice, mm. okay? Now, sheep can't do this diapause thing. They just can't do it. And mice can do it. And the, when these sheep blastocysts were inserted into mouse uteruses, they went into pause mode. The mice were able to pause the blastocysts of a different species, okay? <laughs> I'm not surprised. Then, then, <laughs> Otherwise. I mean, it's stressful. <laughs> stressful situation for yeah. a mouse. It's, it's a difficult birth, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but then they were removed these blastocysts okay after the mice paused them and then they were put back into uh, uh, sort of you know petri dish um, you know mm-hmm. fertilisation whatever sort of artificial thing with sheep and they grew into normal lambs right so, so they're so not inside the sheep they're not they're back in the normal- sheep they were, I think they were put back in the sheep or put back in the test tube or whatever. They were grown into they grew into normal lambs having been in a mouse's uterus wow I think it's pretty tasteless that you won't differentiate between a test tube and a sheep, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Bears or pregnancy? Uh, Let's go bears. Bears? Some brown bears have oral sex. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So this is this is in a zoo in Croatia. It's been noticed. They're both males. Over 116 hours of observation, these two males did it 28 times in 116 hours. Once every four hours over several days. Okay. Impressive. Oh, really? Yeah. Official study on the matter said it might have been because they'd been deprived of suckling and that the provider may have found a substitute for teat sucking that also resulted in a letdown of substitute milk. <laughs> right. <But> that is... <laughs> Holy crap. Oh, what a weird well, euphemism for that process. <laughs> the award for the most disturbing fact of the year. <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> Do you suffer from premature letdown of substitute milk? <laughs> I think that was I think that was presented in as safe a worker way as I could manage it. It was very good, yeah. You, you did you did well. And um, well maybe humans can learn from that. Uh, because anyone <laughs> should be taking lessons from that. <laughs> this this is why your milk peddling business never took off. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't have any of the milk. Will you take my substitute? (laughs) Um, So we can learn some stuff from bears, though, if not that. Uh, We can learn a lot from their hibernation period, right, or their torpor that they go into. So they are enormously fat, as we've said, when they'll go into this torpor and they'll dig their dens and they'll just lie there and they don't get... So there's lots of stuff that we think we should look into to find out why they don't get, for instance, um, muscle and bone deterioration. Mm. So if people are in hospital, let's say you're in a coma, or you're confined to hospital for months on end you get terrible muscle wastage and bone wastage and you get bed sores and they don't really get any of that and also they remain quite alert so I think when animals properly hibernate then you really can't wake them up Mm. this is a good thing to be aware of with grizzly bears actually they will wake up as soon as you go anywhere near them if they're in hibernation and they can like suddenly snap out of it and go for you so I think people were studying grizzly bears (laughs) and they said 
They, um... <laughs> I'm just thinking that the worst way that a grizzly bear can go for you is if it's not been suckling very well. <laughs> They'll go for any part of you that's nearest, to be honest. Gosh. But uh, they, they did a... Oh, my Sorry. God. Well, no, just imagine that scenario happening. You've got your life, but you've got to walk back to camp. And they say, how did you survive? <laughs> what? What you you won't believe this, guys. Yeah. I just got sucked off by a grizzly bear. <laughs> oh, my God. I took 12 hours, 28 times. <laughs> Poor thing wanted to go back to sleep. But... <laughs> oh, my God. Disgusting! Oh my god! I've got I've got a disgusting bear story just to match. Oh yeah, your disgusting bear story. Um, so the, I found this really odd account from the 1700s. So there was a clergyman from Cork called Arthur O'Leary, and he was in northern France, and he saw a dancing bear, and. This was an incredible dancing bear. Everyone was talking about how amazing it was. Um, it could sort of count in numbers by putting its paw on the ground. Uh, it would nod to gentlemen. It, would, uh, it just did all these sort of really graceful things. And this guy was thinking, how is this possible? But then the giveaway happened when the bear suddenly yelled out, the devil take him, the guy has me persecuted. And it turned out what happened. And he, he yelled that in Irish. So this guy understood because he was from Cork. Mm. It turns out that a man had been washed up in France and sewn into a bear suit oh, of a real bear. No. And was made to perform and was stuck inside. And that was his moment to get out. I don't know if he knew an Irishman was there who'd understand his language. But, yeah. This is an account is from amazing. the 1780s. Yeah. That is amazing. Why did he wait so long to do it? Even if you don't understand Irish, you know if you hear a human voice coming out of a bear that something weird yeah, going Yeah, well, it's on. just, you know, it was a dancing bear. They thought this was a very talented but if bear. if you're spelling stuff out on the ground, you could spell out help. I am an Irish <laughs> man who washed up on the beach. But, you're, I mean, if you're French, you might not speak Irish. That's true. I so. guess my point is, I still, th- I don't think Irish sounded to French people like the growl of a bear. <laughs> yeah. I think if he just shouted something, thing yeah you probably pick up words yeah people around you yeah exactly bonjour bonjour (laughs) that is quite a story it's bizarre uh, which i do not believe (laughs) neither do i but it's it's out there really good um so just one or two things on pregnancy maybe yeah cool um do you guys think it's possible to get pregnant via a bullet um there is i've heard that but it must be a myth so there's a civil war Article just after the Civil War, American Medical Journal. There was a proper entry from a doctor called um, Legand Capers, and he had been sorry. T- he was called Leg and Capers. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess he was. Leg, leg and what a well, weird look, meal. Anyway, he was treating a soldier. <laughs> yeah. He was a soldier who'd been shot in the Civil War uh, in a, a skirmish, and his testicle had been shot off. Very very painful. Obviously, the doctor treated him as quickly as possible, dressed the wound. And then was immediately approached by a woman who uh, said, oh, my daughter's been very badly wounded. Uh, a stray bullet had hit her in the abdominal cavity, right? Unfortunately, didn't have time to treat her properly. And the army was fleeing. So he left. Seven months later, he returned. And the woman was very heavily pregnant. Wow. The baby, <laughs> <laughs> the baby was born a little while later. And the doctor observed that after the baby boy was born, inside the testicles of the baby boy was a bullet. Come on. What? This sounds like a Penn and Teller trick, doesn't it? <laughs> and it was written the name of the very doctor. 
Come yeah, it is. It I mean, that. No, it, was, it wasn't. They did fess up that it, that oh, wasn't true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Oh, a, it yeah. was a hoax article. Uh, but the le- that's how the legend kind of entered the uh, stream. That's oh, the first okay. example of that story. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is. Oh, I can't remember who made it up. Now I was too involved in the story. The doctor Legend 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 and his capers. <laughs> okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is James. Okay, my fact is that when the Vandals sacked Rome in 455 AD, they agreed that they would just take the money and not damage any of the property. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> they so, were vandals. Well, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to rescue the reputation of the vandals. Okay. Uh, and it is a little bit controversial because it obviously happened a long, long time ago. <laughs> and a lot of the people who were writing about it were Roman who were, you know, wanted to say bad things about the vandals. Um, but it does seem that the reputation that we have given the vandals for being vandals might not be <laughs> fair. And actually, during this sack of Rome, um, they'd done a deal with Leo I, who was the Pope at the time. And he said, okay, you can come here because obviously, you know, we can't really defend ourselves. So you can come over. But whatever you do, please leave all of our churches and all of our buildings intact. We'll give you the money. We'll give you the jewels. We'll give you the gold and silver. But please don't do that. And it seems for the most part... Although there was a few deaths <laughs> and they did take a few people as slaves. For the most part, as far as pre-medieval sacks go, mm. um, this was actually not one of the worst ones. But they did cool. steal shed loads, right? Why they don't did. we just use vandalism to mean stealing all the stuff somewhere and kidnapping quite a few of the people? That's, we're just using vandalism to mean the wrong thing. The one thing they didn't do was smash anything up. I'm really convinced by James's thesis on this. I had no idea that the vandals were relatively <laughs> nice guys. Who They were all Christians. They, they were. were good Christian boys and girls. Were they? they weren't nice. Well, they weren't good Christians if you believe the other Christians who didn't believe the same Christian stuff as they believed oh, in their sure. Christian stuff. Uh, that's just doctrinal <laughs> stuff. That's, that's, a, that's not relevant. But they had been pushed out of their native lands by the Huns. Yeah. The, and the Vandals were just trying to get down to North Africa, which is where they settled, and they took over Carthage. Uh, yeah. And Ibiza, where they lived for 80 years, <laughs> which I always think is quite cool. A long party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they eventually did move down, and they lived in North North Africa, and Mm. they were kind of happy there. Um, But they were, because they had Carthage and they had a really good fleet, they were occasionally stealing from people and, you know, going on little forays (laughs) and stuff. Um, But then uh, in Rome, there was all sorts of dodgy stuff going on. So the Roman Emperor Valentinian III was murdered by Petronius Maximus because they had a little bit of beef between them. And when uh, Petronius Maximus um, took over, he forced Valentinian's widow to marry him and forced Valentinian's daughter to marry his son. And Valentinian's daughter was supposed to get married to the king of the Vandals' son. Mm. And so the king of the Vandals said, well, you know what? If you're going to cancel that marriage, I'm going to cancel our deal and I'm going to come over and I'm going to sack your city. And that's what he did. And then Petronius tried to run away from the Vandals, but he was stoned by his own people and thrown into the Tiber. Nice. I think it's fair. I think it's completely fair. There was a deal. Petronius Maximus broke it. The Vandals had every right to sack the city. Yeah. Yeah. It's very Game of Thrones-y, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, yeah. Pope Leo I. Mm. Pretty cool character from what I've been reading. I mean, he imagine talking an invading army into just not hurting people and just taking the valuables and going out. Apart from the people they murdered. Apart from the people they murdered and the the temple they burned down. It was literally just that they didn't break stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, but he was also the the same pope who talked supposedly talked Attila the Hun out of actually coming to Rome at all. 
they sent him out. They knew Attila was on the way, what? and he met up with them. And he said, "Would you mind not coming?" And Attila went, "Oh, okay," and went off. He's, that's two times that he's kind of responsible for. Yeah, it does feel like there's more to that story, doesn't there? Feels yeah. like there must have been more to the conversation than that. Yeah, yeah. some sort of blackmail or bribery. I think he came up and he said, "You okay, hun?" <laughs> he just burst into tears. <laughs> I didn't want to hurt anyone. It's got out of hand. I didn't know about sacking. What, what would, I don't know why we said sack places. Mm. Why you sack places? Why do you mm. sack? Because you put everything in sacks when you're running off. Yes, mm. is it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, it's yeah. It's from. It, I looked this up in the uh, OED, and it's from the Latin verb sacare, which means put it in a bag. Nice. Put it in a bag and yeah. smoke it. Yeah. Nothing. Not everything fits in the sack. All right. All right. Clever clogs. Not just. Okay. Well, just yeah, I know. mean, that, that they've got other. Things, Maybe you've right? been using the miniature sacks that the uh, uh, sack salesmen <laughs> have been using. And then being a vandal was actually a good thing for quite a while. Okay, so people thought that the Vandals were kind of cool, uh, and a lot of royal families claimed descent from the Vandals. Uh, the Swedish and the Danish royal families, for instance, um, continued to do so until only about 30 years or so ago. Wow. But there was then a person called Henri Grégoire, who was a bishop of Blois, and he <laughs> used... <laughs> Is that Blah, how you pronounce Blah, that? Blah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he used the term in 1794 to describe the destruction of artwork following the French Revolution. And so that's when the word vandalism became to mean sort of wrecking things. Yes. Really. Yeah, that, he got obsessed read, with it, didn't he? I like, read that there was no one to defend the good name of the vandals because at the time there wasn't a geographical region which which was claiming yeah. descent from them. Well, certainly not in that bit of France, yeah. anyway. No, hadn't been for some time. But, I mean, because they were quite crap in the end, and they didn't last very long. And actually, they should be grateful for de Blois, because otherwise we wouldn't remember them at all, I don't think. Mm. They pretty much lasted 100 years, sort of fanning around in Carthage and bits of North Africa and the unfair. Iberian Peninsula. Very unfair. Peace-loving people. <laughs> they were not peace-loving <laughs> people. <laughs> they were reasonably peaceful. I read an account judge. where they... Butchered people up into <laughs> tiny little pieces You're of meat. You're judging them by modern standards, which is not the way it works. <laughs> okay, right? that's fair enough. They were all doing that in those days. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Do you know who their main allies were? Uh, no. Who they have, were in coalition with was the Allens. It was the Vandals the and the Allens. Yeah. So the, the Vandal Kingdom was actually the Vandal and the Allen Kingdom in full. <laughs> One more thing about the Vandals oh, yeah. uh, is that George III married Charlotte of Mecklenburg Strelitz and she claimed descent from the van- mm. Vandals. She was one of those. So we briefly had a queen uh, who was a vandal and um, it was really trendy at the time and so in the late 1700s they were going to make a British colony in North America which they were going to call Vandalia and there are still places in America called Vandalia including one city that was briefly the capital of Illinois Uh, and sports teams from the University of Idaho are always called the Vandals because of this trendy time when everyone was called Vandals that's awesome that's really good oh they've left their mark yeah. In a very odd way. <laughs> Can I, I have one favourite vandal? Oh, yeah. Who was the last king. So the guy who sacked Rome was actually really good. It was Geyseric, and he was impressive. The last king was a guy called Gelimer, and he spent his whole time running away from people who were trying to beat his armies and fleeing. And at one point, the only reason his life was saved was because it was always the Byzantines who were after him. At one point, the only reason his life was saved was because he was fleeing John the Armenian, who was ruler of the... <laughs> 
uh, where was he from? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he's fleeing John the Armenian, who was going to get him, but then poor old John the Armenian ended up being accidentally killed by one of his own bodyguards who'd got pissed and was trying to shoot a bird with an arrow and accidentally got John instead. No. Wow. So Gelimer escapes John. This is Gelimer, Mr. Vandal. And he fled to Algeria, and he didn't like Algeria because the diet was bad and they lived quite um, ascetic lives and he was used to luxury. Mm. So then the ruler of the Byzantines uh, said, do you want to surrender then? If you hate it there, surrender to me. And he sent a letter back saying, no, I refuse to surrender, but please send me some bread, a sponge and a liar. And he explained... <laughs> this is like a tea cosy, a condom and a Pennington bed. He was a distant ancestor of Clarkson. <laughs> when you say a liar, you don't mean someone who turns up saying, I haven't brought a bread or a sponge. <laughs> uh, what are you holding behind your back then? Uh, no, he said he wanted the bread to eat. He said he needed the sponge to wash his eyes because they were so swollen with tears because he was so unhappy and he said he wanted the liar to play alongside a lament that he composed about what a tough time he was having and the leader of the Byzantines (laughs) cried in sympathy and sent him all the stuff he wanted nice guy now that is a peace loving people the Byzantine people well Well, that was Rome wasn't it I didn't realise that Rome didn't really collapse until 1453 AD. Mm. But the Byzantines were the, is that the eastern Mm. lot? And they called themselves the Romans. They did not see, they didn't say we are the Byzantine Empire and it's, well, what a shame about Rome. They completely saw themselves as the continuation of the Roman Empire. Yeah, they just happened to all be Christians and have moved with the times. It's weird because we called the Christians Romans for a bit. And then we just decided, no, sod it. I think because these guys have been Christians for a hundred years or so. Yeah. Um, Everyone's calling everyone stupid things, aren't they? (laughs) And everyone called everyone barbarians as well. So barbarian, the word barbarian comes from the Greeks used it to mean anyone who wasn't Greek. Yeah. Right. And they gave it the word because they thought that everyone who spoke something that wasn't Greek was just going blah, 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 blah. And so they called them barbarians. And so then the Romans called all of the Germanic tribes barbarians, but actually the Romans were barbarians as well, according to the Greeks. Okay. They were all barbarians. The Greeks even called other Greeks barbarians sometimes. It was just people who weren't exactly like you, basically, was barbarian. And there's that weird folk etymology that it was people who had beards. Oh, barber yeah. means beer, but I don't think oh, that is okay. true. No. I read, well, just on beards, so there was something like, I read that was about seven sacks of Rome over yeah. different periods of time. Um, and in 1527, there was one, but that's post when you're saying Rome... The ancient Rome. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But it's still counted as Rome, I suppose. Oh, it's, it's still Rome. It's now. still Rome. It's still going, is it? Oh, <laughs> congratulations, guys. The city is, still, is always Rome. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. I but- hope, because I'm going next week, so it's going to be very awkward if it disappeared <laughs> a thousand years ago. <laughs> but so 1527, it was yeah. sacked so bad. That was a really, really bad one. It was, it was oh, sack city. Big it was, sack. yeah, big sack. Um, that <laughs> the Pope at the time, Clement VII, grew a beard in mourning. It was a, sort of a display of mourning, um, right. and he had it until his death in 1534. But he kick-started a trend amongst popes to have beards, because oh. they didn't have beards up until that point. There were a few that had, but the idea is if you were a man of God, that you had to be clean-shaven. Right. Um, but so it, was, it was seen, he was so loved, I think, um, that for 24 subsequent popes, they all had a beard. Really? Yeah. So he, he started a trend of beards and popes. That's great. Oh, my God. So this whole hipster beard trend, we keep thinking is going to end, clearly by Dan's face. It doesn't seem like it is. <laughs> this could go on for the length of 24 popes' reigns. Yeah. Good. 
That's a long trend. And if you want to be a man of God, then you can get your free trial set. Just spawn. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is my fact. My fact this week is people who have died from laughing include a 5th century Greek artist who couldn't stop laughing at his own painting, and an Australian dog trainer who died after reading the price difference of some commodities in 1915 as compared to 1920. They're very funny price differences. <laughs> Would the price gone down or up? I think they'd gone up. Has anyone looked at the price commodities from from 1915? No. I no. think you have. <laughs> well, I just about managed to survive. Um, <laughs> no, I did. Um, it was during the war, wasn't it? So um, everything went up in price, uh, including wheat that increased by over 50% to more than six times the pre-war rate. What, by 1920? Um, 1915, that was. Yeah, compared to 1920, though. I, I didn't check those. James, you just, <laughs> like, you've done half the research here. No wonder you haven't died laughing. <laughs> That's the thing. It's dangerous, right? We know it to be dangerous. So Very risky. There are lots of stories, aren't there, about people dying laughing, but they're all, a lot of them are a pinch of salt. A lot of them seem to have had underlying medical conditions yeah. that yes. have been aggravated. Absolutely, no, but I mean, that's, but they did go out. Still counts. In Still the lab, counts. yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's an ancient story about a seer called Calcas who died after another seer had predicted his death and then the other seer had been proved wrong. His prediction had been so wrong. And Calcas laughed and laughed and laughed and then died, <laughs> thus proving the prediction right. It's one of those bullet testicle baby stories. <laughs> I think a lot of these are, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Um, so why don't you tell us the story of the Greek artist? The Greek artist was called Zeusis. Uh, Z-E-U-X-I-S. Zeusis. Like Zoigma. It's Zoigma. Yeah. So the Greek artist is called Zoixus, uh, 5th century BC. <laughs> was he from Manhattan? <laughs> yeah, he was a Marx brother. Um, he, um, Zoixus. Uh, <laughs> He's Zoixus. He's coming round. So he, he died laughing because he painted. Because he heard you try to pronounce his name. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, he was painting the goddess Aphrodite. Um, Aphrodite? <laughs> Zoixus and Aphrodite. Um, and the, uh, the old woman who had commissioned it from him insisted that she be the model for the portrait, right. which he thought was ridiculous. She didn't look like Aphrodite. So he painted it. And I imagine it's as he got to the end, final dab on the painting. He stood back. He thought, this is so ridiculous uh, that he went into laughter convulsions and died, wow. is the story that we are uh, to believe. That's good. Okay. Yeah. Wonder if she got the painting for free. You'd just take it away, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. yeah. Roll it up. <laughs> <laughs> He's amazing, though, Zoixus. There's one story that's related by Pliny the Elder, which is that he was um, he basically got into an art battle with another massive painter of the time. Um, what was he called? He was called Parhasius. So Zoixus and Parhasius decided to have an art off. And they arrived to this battle, both bringing the best painting that they could possibly do. Mm. So Zoixus pulls back his painting to reveal grapes. So he pulls a little sheet away, and grapes are there. The grapes are said to be so real that birds fly down from the sky and start pecking <laughs> at the painting. Brilliant. Huge, huge deal. It's yeah. doing really well. Pahasius then says, okay, well, let me unveil my painting, which is behind these curtains, only to reveal that the curtains themselves are the painting so real. OMG. Yeah. Is an illusion. Uh, and he won. So he beat Zeusius. Yeah. I heard that Zeuxis was the one who was trying to push the cloth away. 
Parhasius's painting. And so he was like, I'm going to show what yours looks like. And he couldn't do it because it was painted on the... That makes sense. Astonishing. There's another uh, anecdote that says he drew a boy holding the grapes. uh, And the bird came down to try and peck the grapes, but he was really unhappy about that. Why might that be? Uh, Who? Zoixus was unhappy. Yes. Um, his painting? No. He was unhappy with his own skill. Because, because the, the bird wasn't scared of the boy? Exactly. Ah. Yeah. So the, nice. the grapes were good enough, but obviously the boy wasn't good enough because the birds weren't scared. Like Embarrassing. It. I like it. <laughs> uh, there are a few more famous ancients who died laughing. My, so my favourite, which I think I read in Mary Beard's book, was the fact that two famous figures in ancient Greece were separately recorded as having died laughing after seeing a donkey eating figs and drinking wine. Okay. Um, funny. It's funny. funny. It's ridiculous. It's obviously the same story that's been pitched by two people. <laughs> but So there's one of them which is could recorded... Be one funny, could be one very funny donkey doing the rounds. The greatest comedian of the 3rd century yeah, the BC. the laughing donkey of death. It could have been an Irishman <laughs> in a donkey suit. <laughs> Just trying to say, let me out. They didn't speak Irish in ancient Greece. <laughs> Um, so one was recorded by Valerius Maximus in the first century AD, but it was talking about uh, Philemon in the third century BC, who had, so he was this master chap and his slave had put figs in the room with him and he watched a donkey start eating the figs and he was quite pissed off so he called his slave and said come here chase that donkey away I don't know why he couldn't get up and chase the donkey away himself Um, and the slave took a while to arrive so by the time the slave had got there to chase the donkey away all the figs had gone so Philemon said well you might as well now give the donkey some wine Because right. sort of a joke about yeah, how, yeah. and then he found himself so hilarious that he laughed. Uh, <laughs> he died apparently crushing his feeble windpipe with his own panting. And then, oh. <laughs> can I just say? So he was laughing at his own joke, really, wasn't Absolutely. he? Absolutely, yeah. 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 Wow. He was a funny guy. And then exactly the same thing is told about the Stoic philosopher Chrysippus. Apparently, he died laughing at the a very similar joke that he told <laughs> when a donkey was caught eating his figs. Classic. Yeah, maybe it was just a classic funny thing and that doesn't quite translate these days. It can't do. There must be something we're missing. Well, or it's like exactly what Ada says. It's just one story. <laughs> I think it's very funny. It's yeah, a funny um, joke. Someone else who supposedly died laughing was Anthony Trollope. Uh, And he was um, supposedly reading a book called Vice Versa, A Lesson to Fathers by F. Anstey. Uh, And he found a bit in it that was so funny that he died laughing. Um, But what I find really interesting is that this is a really old book, um, but it's about a um, businessman who finds an Indian magic stone and swaps body with his young son. It's basically Freaky Friday. Wow. Oh, that's great! Big or oh, yeah, all yeah. these all these movies? Thirteen going that. on thirty. Yeah, my as yet unpicked up uh, screenplay, <laughs> The Wrong Tree, which is a dog body swap comedy. Or does he swap <laughs> with a tree? No, two dogs swap with each other. <laughs> all right. But one of them is a big scary dog, and one of them is a small sort of lap dog. Why is it the wrong tree? Because they've both been. Because there's a magic tree, which they're both running round. Mm. God, I thought you, this was a joke, but actually, it's becoming apparent that you've actually <laughs> no, no, got I, the I, script. I, I want to jump in and say, let's not indulge it, because this can go on for half an hour. It's, it's really detailed. I have got the copyright, just to make that very, very clear. What about two grizzly bears who swap bodies with each other? <laughs> <laughs> what was the mechanism by which they swap? <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Um, uh, I got a more recent one that's happened. 1988, someone passed away from laughing while they were watching a fish called Wonder. 
Mm. And they were watching a scene. Funny film. Very yeah, funny. funny film. They were watching a scene where Michael Palin gets some French fries stuffed up his nose. So Michael Palin, through a bit of comedy, yeah. led to someone's death. And what <laughs> is amazing about that is in the very first episode of Monty Python, Palin was part of the team that wrote about the funniest joke ever that oh, was used sketch. in war. And it kind of a life imitated art there, wow. really. Yeah. On QI, yeah. the TV show that we all work for, mm. someone wrote to us uh, probably about 10 years ago, maybe longer. I think it was before all you guys, or you two started mm. and when Dan was still there and they said that their father was watching QI and died laughing no yeah mm. uh, and it was obviously sad that the father had died but actually he really loved the show and it was a fitting thing to happen do we know which moment <laughs> was it know. where the Acropolis is do they not specify no it was before that I think it was when we brought a donkey on and it ate some things <laughs> 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 it was either the D series or the F series. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, that's that happens. That's wow. very, well, how nice that he wrote yeah. in to say that yeah. as well. Yeah. But laughing was often seen as not a good thing to be doing. So there are lots of people who prescribed against it. There was a 16th century doctor called Laurent Joubert who described laughter as quite a dangerous thing because it could bring on fits and fainting and stuff. And he described it as uh, laughter. He defined as sparkling of eyes, redness of face, sweat coming out of the entire body, effusion of tears, rising of veins and emptying of bowels and bladder. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's why uh, it's so dangerous taking a cleaning job at Jonglers. (laughs) Because um, people empty their bowels and bladder if they're laughing. Yeah, yeah. Is that a comedy club? Yes, it's a comedy club. Sorry, Sorry. that was really funny, but I was just trying to hold control of my bowels <laughs> and bladder. Um, supposedly, Newton never laughed. Um, mm. There's a story that says that he only laughed once in his life when he was asked, what is the point of studying Euclid? <laughs> it's a classic. That is a funny one. Uh, and someone who doesn't laugh is called an ageolast. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. I love the word gelastic, laughing, laughing related. Mm. So Very I nice. think there are people who have sort of gelastic seizures where they can't prevent themselves laughing, even if the occasion doesn't call for it or if mm. it's very inappropriate. That's yeah. right. And someone who's a misogelast is someone who hates laughter. Is that so? Yeah. Gets really annoyed, but gets irritated by it. Or someone who laughs at Japanese soup. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a study, another study on laughter, which found that um, the best way to make a baby laugh Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and this works um, for babies between about six months and two years. Should we guess? Yeah, um, do they are they ticklish? Oh, okay. So this is normal comedy club rules. That you can't tickle the audience. Cannot <laughs> 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 used to do that. This tickle yeah. stuff. Uh, okay, so is it? Yeah, Dan's, Dan's did already you say said peekaboo? it. Peekaboo. Said it. Peekaboo. Uh, but I have a son, so yeah. I've tested. Yeah. Kind of make him laugh. Have you tested the other methods? Okay, so scientists measured what made babies laugh, and they tried four methods one of which was peekaboo uh-huh. one of which um, putting a cup on your <laughs> on your head okay I haven't done that <laughs> that is funny that I is funny that's really funny James is doing it now and I'm mm. laughing Oh, wow. And I'm now just wondering how flat James's head must be. <laughs> Still sitting there. I don't think I can really talk properly while it's... Oh, okay. <laughs> Keep it there. Keep it there. Um, so one of them is putting a cup on your head. One of them is pretending a toy animal is making the wrong noise. Have you tried that? Taking a toy cat and going... No. Oh. Okay. That's worth trying. And then the, the last one is apparently stuffing your mouth with material. Just like oh. filling your mouth with cloth. <laughs> okay. um, apparently, there are five categories of action-type laughter. Okay. So there are, there are categories of verbal laughter, like types of joke that make you laugh, and then things you can do to make someone laugh. Okay. This, I should specify, is according to this 16th century doctor uh, called Laurent Joubert, who had disapproved of laughter. But he said, laughter is divided into five categories. Category number one is exposure of the genitals. <laughs> 
<laughs> one whole category. Again, it's, it's an wow. old faithful. <laughs> Louis C.K. rides again. <laughs> uh, category number two, a separate category, exposure of the arse. Different, oh, different, different kind yeah. of humour altogether. Different. It is different. Category number three is the prattful, which is falling on the arse. Mm-hmm. And then there are two more which are unrelated. Misapprehension <laughs> of taste, so mistaking something that smells really bad for something that smells really good. And okay. stuffing your mouth full of <laughs> cloth. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. I just love that drop mooning someone and showing your testicles or fanny to them are two completely different categories of comedy. They hated the category one stuff tonight, but they really went for the category two. Okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, James, at James Harkin, Andy, at Andrew Hunderham, and Chazinski. You can email podcast at qi.com. Yep, or you can go to our group account, which is at no such thing, or you can go to our website, no such thing as a fish.com. All of our previous episodes are up there. Have a listen. We'll be back again next week with another episode. We'll see you then. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.